This is AV Week, episode 166, Blasphemy, recorded October 25th, 2014. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. And there's a start. And welcome to another edition of AV Week. This is episode 166. I'm your host, George Tucker. Tim Albright is otherwise engaged. Welcome to a new show. Today, we're going to talk about a lot of things. Joining me to explain the latest news is, of course, Uncle Richie, Richard Forgosa from Forgosa Design. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you, too. It's been a while, sir. Miller Greetings. Actually, uh, one of the first times that R- Uncle Richie will be casual for a podcast, but flying the colors for game three of the... Series and our San Francisco Gigantes. So. Yes, and the rumor is that Tim is not here because he won't own up on yes, that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, he, he just felt he didn't look good in black and orange. So, yes. Uh, but, uh, but we've got you, and so you're pinch hitting, you know, to use the, the baseball term. And, and, uh, so Go Rangers. Sure. Wait, sorry, I'm sport. I apologize. <laughs> we can argue about that later in the season. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and also joining us, of course, is Christopher Netto from the AV Help Desk and from AV Nation's Red Band. Good to see What's you. What's going on, guys? We had a fun time uh, chatting after uh, AV Crosstalk last night. There was an after show. Uh, the AV Crosstalk show will be back up next week. We did a live version yesterday about sales reps and direct sales. It was quite the raucous. I think I summed it up with it was uh, civil and turned into a war. So. <laughs> Catch it, on the it was good. All right, gentlemen, to the news. It is fall. Everybody's getting nestled and nesting. And, of course, the leaves are falling, and that means it is litigation season. Yes, folks, Sono sues Denon over their Heos, Heos system. I never know how to say that correctly. Pretty sure it's Heos. You know, I'm getting tired of these. Richie, do they have any merit in this? Are we just going through the same thing we saw last year and the year before? You know, I the, it's right now the um, at least what they were filing was was a bit sparse to say the least. And 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 shout out to friend of the program Ted Green for uh, mm. kind of kind of bringing some of this information and breaking it down a little bit in terms of the actual patents itself. Um, you know, I, it, I I think it's gotten to the point where Sonos knows that there's going to be other players in the market, and and I think that Denon is just going to be the first in the line because we're going to see not necessarily from the AV market somebody stepping in, but there's going to be an outsider coming in from the tech market, and I think that's what Sonos is kind of going to use this as a sparring match, um, just to tighten up the defense when some potentially larger players or, or players that come completely from outside of the industry decide to become part of this. Um, you know, does it have merit? Um, it, it'll depend on the judge. You know, I mean, it, it really comes down to it. And there's, you know, there's a there's a saying that, you know, um, anything in court doesn't necessarily deal with justice. It just deals with the law. <laughs> it's true. Well, Chris, you may or may not have had a chance to read some of this, but for those of those of you out there who haven't read any of this yet, there's four major points. They're saying multi-channel pairing of a media system, 
a method and apparatus for controlling multimedia players in a multi-zone system, a method and apparatus for adjusting volume levels in a multi-zone system, and control strip for electronic appliances. All right, I'm not a lawyer. These sound really generic. Absolutely. I, you know, I could make a patent for carrying things in a satchel to school. <laughs> I just, so, I mean, but my question to you is, do you think there's more to this than, than that? Or are they really trying to do this global defense of something so that they can stymie at, at, at minimum and stop at best the competition? I'm thinking they're trying to just stop the competition, but this won't hold up. I mean, how many manufacturers are out there already working on the wireless solutions? And how, how are you going to stop that? Like you said, your example of, I'm going to put a patent in, and I'm going to say that it is for a satchel to carry books. Uh, that pretty much just implicated everything from book bags to pocketbooks to uh, lunch bags to whatever. Um, it's just general. It's just... I look at this and just say this is not going anywhere. I mean, I mean, the, the only better fight than this is the Samsung versus Apple battles that go on, and they, they fight over every little thing. And how far does that go? I mean, this honestly, yeah, Sonos is successful for what they're doing, and they, they've done um, you know a nice job with their wireless products, and God knows it is everywhere. I mean, I've seen Sonos being sold in rinky-dinky little shops that I never thought would be able to carry a product like Sonos, but they do. So stopping Denon is just one way to slow down the, uh, you know, the development by other companies. But it's inevitable that every, you know, there's going to be other, other players in that market. That's just the nature of the business. Uncle Richie, they, they tried to do this a couple of years ago between I think Extron and Crestron. I think somebody went after remote control, uh, the remote universal remote guys, RTI. Do we have a bigger problem in the industry that it's so tight, our economies, that they're going to do this more and more because we're overlapping, or can we prevent it somewhere? Well, I think that what we're dealing with more and more is is there's a technological trend that, that we're seeing, and that, you know, if you, if you started going over 15 years ago, say it's the, the intellectual property battle. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk originally, you know, when some of these first IP lawsuits were coming about that the judges didn't understand. They didn't understand the whole concept of IP. And so what we're seeing, I think, is is the, the laying out of the battleground that these manufacturers more and more are finding out that it's less about the physical hardware that they've developed. It is all completely about their process. It is all completely about their software. And we're seeing a trend in our market that's been going on in the, the tech market for 15 years, which is everybody is completely defending the process, their their mind share. And you know, that's that's where this I think is is really getting launched at this point is that Sonos is saying we have to focus on our idea. Whether we're using these products, that doesn't really matter. It's this, it's it's our software. You know, it's, you know, with the, the quote that keeps coming around is software is eating the world and this is the shift, and this is a natural progression on how people are working on that. Chris, this does bring up another issue, though, of can we exist in this market without going after each other? Um, I'm thinking more specifically, we are losing hardware. What's the next step to prevent it? Is it being open source, or I'm sorry, open like Sonos says they are by publishing all their patents so they can say, see, see, this is what we do, you can't do that? 
or do we are we uh, ready for a consolidation in the industry? Oh, I think I lost Chris. I, I think we lost. <laughs> All right, yes. <laughs> back. As we're as we're speaking. Um. Well, we'll wait for Chris to come. Oh, well, can we, that's okay. I can edit it later. But you know, I'll put it to you too, though, Richard. You know what? Are we looking at a consolidation down the line? Are there too many players right now, even with the emerging market, which we'll get to, of, of the universal devices, the smaller markets? Are, are we really set for that to happen? We're dealing with a fracturing. And again, I mean, it's it's look at the, the DIY movement. Um, the, just like what happened, what we were just bringing about with, you know, with the, the other manufacturers, you know, look at displays. You know, you have basically an entry level and you have a luxury model. Everything in the middle is completely decimated. All of the standard AV markets that we've been used to are, are absolutely following, and, and I, I've ranted and railed about this over and over, is that I've always felt that as an industry, we've always been 15 years behind the times of the greater tech community. Um, that window is, is, is closing quite a bit, but we're starting to see the same shakeout that occurred um, in the other industries. I mean, look at... You know, I, I look at a lot of the major players that are still in the market right now as the equivalent of the Sun Microsystems and the, the Cray microcomputers of the world. Um, at one point, um, they are just going to evaporate. And I think that as we're seeing, I mean, look at DNM Holdings. You know, look at, at some of the other large holding companies now that, you know, pretty much own a lot of the major brands where, you know, 15 years ago they were all independents working around. Uh, you know, again, let's let's take a look at a major control manufacturer just being acquired by a major uh, audio <laughs> company. Um, you know, this is this is this is just the, the the tip of the spear that we're seeing. And um, I think what's happening now is that because it's happening so much more, um, people are, are in our industry are starting to take notice. That hey, this is coming down, and it's it's instead of you know crying the the chicken little, the sky is falling. Um, we're starting to see it, and and so this litigation that they're you know potentially looking at going towards is is going to be you know again like I said, I think it's just going to be par for the course at, at some point because they're all going to be focusing on mind share as opposed to boxes that they're moving out. You know, at some point when Sonos just becomes a service. Um, that winds up working its way onto an intelligent speaker, you know, which which you know we could see coming down the line or coming down some form of audio over IP. Um, less and less when you are focused on a hardware model and you focus more and more on a software model. Um, that's all they have left to fight for. Hmm. Yeah, it's true. Um... I find it very difficult. Which brings us actually to the next article. Uh, Mike Brandis. Uh, he's a writer for AV Network as well as for the Red Band and for AV Nation. Wrote an interesting article that I think is a topic we've all been discussing and some of us have been avoiding, but video conferencing. It has become the new flat panel. And I say that with a sense of boldness that once upon a time we were able to put up flat panels with their mountings over fireplaces, albeit, but still make money at it. That's gone once they wanted to saturate the market and make money with the regular consumer. And they have at our loss and a lower profit ratio for them, but they're making more. It's sort of the Ford model, right? Sell more for less, make more money. Now he's suggesting that much of this teleconferencing, the new flat panel scenario, uh, is go should go away because they just don't want it. It's too expensive and corporations will go away from it. 
I think he's got the button right on there, doesn't he, Richard? He's he's got the idea that guys, it's going away. You touched on it. Are we really going to all software? Yes. I, I mean, in, in a one-word answer, yes. And mm-hmm. and if we, as an industry, are are going to continue to stick our our heads in the sand over it, um, you're not going to be in business in five years. Um, my commercial compatriots may disagree with me in terms of um, how commercial and residential are different, and how commercial is all about you know um, you know uptime and reliability and and all of these things. But even commercials fracture between education, between um, boardroom application, between uh, government. Um, they all have their own needs in terms of what reliable you know you kind of using the air quotes means mm-hmm. as opposed to affordable. Um, from my viewpoint, what what we're finding more and more is, and I, I've said this a couple of times, in the past, we used to have a trickle-down situation where commercial technology would find its way into residential applications. It was going on for decades, literally. That shifted. It, it's a flip. I mean, just take a look at the, the BYOD movement. That didn't come out of commercial. That was purely from... The, the residential end user market where they're saying, you know, I've got a company who's just sold a hundred million of these devices this quarter and you're trying to tell me that I can't use it here because you've got a five-figure system that's A, antiquated, <laughs> B, is going to be obsolete within the next two years, three, we can only share it between, you know, connected offices but it's quote unquote better. It's not flying anymore. It just, it's it's just not a a. It, from from a from a matter of you know just in terms of the investment, more and more companies are saying you know what's an acceptable compromise, and software is, is leading that charge because you can be much more nimble with it when you're not dealing with a box and even though a point to point solution and. XYZ, like I said, I, I keep hearing these 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 same objections over and over, and it feels like they're more they're becoming more wishes than actual accepting of the fact that the technology is changing underneath you, and you have a choice: you either go with the technology or you fight the technology, and you keep trying to justify your technology. Mm. Um, you know, and again, it, it, case in point, we're hosting a podcast on technically a free service. Right? Yeah. Works. <laughs> we could have an audience if we, you know, a, if a couple of hundred people looking in right this moment. Um, ten years ago, that technology wasn't there. Five years ago, we didn't have that technology. And yet, here we are. And there's an accelerated path that we're seeing. So I think Mike is a hundred, a thousand percent dead on on this. And I don't think we're ringing as many alarm bells as we should be right now. Um, because the the focus is, is this is who we are, and I've, I've said it before and before, we've got such an identity crisis in terms of who we are as an industry that, um, you know, we're seeing the IT as the enemy. We're seeing anything foreign as the enemy, Any, anything that attacks the way that we've been doing business since daddy ran the company, <laughs> you know, or the way that we got our, uh, our government contract, you know, for whatever federal building uh, as a way of doing it. Um, it's it's coming. It's it's just flat out coming. Let me let me ask this to Chris. Chris, we're talking about Mike Brandis's article about going away from the hardware teleconferencing, going away from some of these models, right? Uh, 
Richard was bringing up the fact that yes, they're going. It's what they want. It's cost effective. We have to stop fighting the future. That kind of stuff. One of the questions I always have with it is reliability. Part of this is that we're saying it's disposable, but part of it is now as a contractor, are we not going to be spending more time being the help desk, your help desk, than the integrator? Is this a danger or a, or a or an advantage? To moving um, our industry to the cloud, to cloud-based services, which are yeah, or software-based services that are removing the hardware, the codecs inside the code. It it changes us from tinkerers to a whole new mindset. Uh, maybe uh, Rich and the programming uh, side of our business are better equipped to, to to battle that because they deal with that on a daily basis. But you know, look at the workforce that's out there. A lot of us have been born and raised on. On, on solder and, uh, and splicers and all that. It, it, it's definitely a different mindset um, to go to the software-based uh, services. Uh, but at any Infocom show, any NSCA event that you go to, um, you hear the constant talk of change your business models, change the idea, change the way you're thinking, because the old way is... They won't say the old way is dead, but they're pretty much hinting at it. You know, if you are a company that's nuts and bolts and major living off of selling boxes off your shelf and making a markup, you're seeing those margins way down. And every single one of these uh, uh, show, event, seminar that you go to is everybody saying you got to sell your services. Why? They're not a commodity that sits on a, on a shelf. Uh, the commodity is the people that you have working for you. And I don't like to refer to people working in a place as a commodity. But it's a, it's a shift. Um, it's an argument that I've had. Um, uh, me personally, it's something that has, has bothered me in our industry, is depending on who you're working for, what you're doing, getting education, getting knowledge, getting your employer to invest in you uh, has always been a, a struggle. Um, I know a lot of people that have come into the industry and had a goal of, yeah, I want to become a, a restaurant programmer. And the answer back typically from the employer is, well, we're going to train you so you leave. There is no initiative from them to invest in their people. Now, if you're going to switch to a, a service-based, part of a service is customer service. You know, Part of that also, what people need to remember is that you're also investing in knowledge of your employees. So you it, it sort of goes against that think. You know, everybody before was just going out with a bag of tools and fixing and hammering things and making it work. If you're going to switch to a service model, you need people to be creative, you need people to think outside the box, and you need people with some sort of intelligence that are going to be able to speak to products that are out there. I, maybe I went off topic, George, but this hit me in a, in a different, different way because in order for the industry to go with a service model, mentality it requires something more than just a hammer and nails you know we sort of got to think differently and that includes employers and the people that work for these for, for these uh, integrators not just integrators consultants and, and vendors and manufacturers investing in your employees in order for you to start switching to a service model that can help people you know you're selling more than just software you're selling you're selling help 
Well, one of the lines that really struck me in his in his article was I'm going to bring it up here. There we go. Share it. Uh, was was this one? With more and more companies betting on huddle rooms and collaboration spaces, a wider variety of technology design enabled video conferencing regardless of transmission method, employees having a greater need for ad hoc conferencing. And that's the line I'm really focusing on, ad hoc. Gone are the days that we can really restrict what the network or the signal path will do. The users are in control, aren't they? Yeah. Well, the, the, the cry on the end user side when it comes to um, video conferencing in general has always been scheduling. You know, everybody's creating the next big piece of hardware. Everybody wants to move services from to the cloud and all this and all that. Being on site for the last 10 years, working hand in hand with customers directly like I do, the biggest pain point has always been scheduling. How do you schedule it? Now people say, oh, that's easy, you go to Outlook. It's not. Every company that's out there providing a managed service has their own scheduling software for scheduling rooms and scheduling the video conferencing. Um, so that is a major problem, and ad hoc is very appealing. The other interesting part about that line that, that stands out, huddle rooms. It's a loose term. People have different definitions of what a huddle space or huddle room is. I deal with huddle rooms. As a matter of fact, I'm sitting in one right now. Um, Huddle rooms... They're soaking in it. <laughs> I'm soaking in it, exactly. Uh, <laughs> huddle rooms... Basking in it. Yes, feeling it all. Just come on in. But the fluorescent <laughs> rays are just warming his soul. <laughs> so, huddle rooms, if you are to take that and switch that into a term that an integrator typically would call this, or know this as, it's also referred to by integrators as a hang-and-bang. Who wants to be in the hang-and-bang business? The hanging bangs were presentation rooms, monitor, maybe a projector on the wall, and a, and a, and a, and a, and a uh, connection point at the table. All right? In this particular room, we have a monitor on a wall, a tiny webcam on top of the uh, monitor there, a 55-inch monitor with a little webcam on top. Um, we have a uh, transmitter receiver embedded into the table and we send HDMI and VGA because we still have some legacy PCs available. And what is the purpose of this room? It's if people want to have a link call, they have it on their laptops. They can all come in here with their link or with their jab or whatever it is. And all that little PC up there or little webcam is doing is allowing for a wider shot of the table. And to the, a lot of these people, good enough is plenty good enough. Now, in that description of what this room is. You throw a $99 webcam on top. You know how many integrators are looking at this or hearing me speak right now and going, ugh, that's not an integrated room. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. <laughs> okay. Yes, there is a TX and an RX in here. I'm sending HDMI via uh, via a, um, a Cat5 and uh, scaling it and doing whatever I need to do, and I have to make sure that my edits are correct and all that sort of jazz. Yeah, there is some integration, but it's minimal. But these are not the big home runs that they want to see. Huddle spaces scare integrators. They don't know how to deal with it. Um, and this is just a small space. There's definitely a uh, hundred different ways you can go with it, including you know, adding the higher-end um, uh, camera systems and sound to it. But technically, it's a small space. People just get together and collaborate. I don't know. I think huddle spaces kind of scare integrators. 
Unless they're doing a hundred of them, they don't want nothing to do with the hanging bang. Well, your point, though, actually brings up the next article, which I think is a really intriguing segue. From CE Pro, do you have the chops to be a mid-market installer? And I'll bring that up. A mid-market integration business. And the fascinating thing I find about this is exactly what you... There's a line in here about... Uh, he sees a new breed of specialists performing light integration, actually achieving the age-old dream of get in, get out, get paid. But in this, pay, in this case, get paid, get paid, get paid. So Julie brings up a great idea of a seminar about going after that bid market. I don't know if they really want to call it hang and bang because there's a little bit more to it. But Richie, I put this to you. We talked about possibly industry consolidation. We talked about maybe too many players in the market. Maybe it's watering it down. And here is somebody taking advantage of that saying, I'm going to put a team together, and they're going to do these with high turnover, short install times, and it's going to be hang and bang. Is it the future, or is this just taking advantage of one moment? Um, I, I think that if this article ran in 2008 or 2009 during the housing meltdown. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of people would be saying that that's great, that this would be something that you would target at whoever's left. Um, yeah, I mean, the reality is is that the, you know, again, the, the, the model and the, and the reason why, and, and actually Chris mentioned it right a couple of minutes ago, people entering the industry 15 years ago had a much different idea and and uh, landscape in front of them of the industry than people entering the industry now. Um, you know, when you came in, like you said, you grew up on solder. You grew up on, you know, from the resi side. You know, theoretically, everybody kind of comes in and says, you know, I'm I'm a craftsman, or I'm an audiophile, or I'm a videophile, or I'm X, Y, or Z, and I'm really into. I'm coming into this industry because I'm passionate about it. Right? It it's something that is. Not only is it their career or their job, but it's probably something that defines them in terms of just their overall personality. They're really excited about it. This article points to how this business works now, which is it's a business. You know, what you do is secondary to how you do it. This talks about something that really is you'd go to any Infocom meeting or an, you know, or a top one hundred CE Pro meeting or a CD meeting or any of these meetings. It all comes back down to the business of doing business. You have to decide, you know, what are you, uh, what are you in this for? Are you in this for a business? And and really, it's just saying, you know, you could be in the widgets business, you can be in the Gazintas business, the Gazatas business, or you can be in the AV business. And the AV business comes down to in this this mid market approach comes down to having lots of people and not necessarily highly qualified people for it. It's much like um, the satellite industry. Two decades ago, um, and somebody will be mentioned. We used to do really, really high-end, large dish satellite installations. I mean, these were five-figure satellite dishes. <laughs> you know, they were very technically um, demanding to get this all done. And then all of a sudden, a new technology comes in, and a complete industry evaporates over what a 36-month period. Um, our market. I'm not saying that necessarily. You know, where this is going to evaporate the market. But the chasm is growing much, much larger between the luxury market and the DIY market. You know, there, there, there's people who will fit the, the middle of it. But really what this market is saying is, you know what? 
you got to go back to what we were doing in the old days. You got to go back to production building. You got to go back to MDU. You got to go back to you know again the, much like using the the huddle space analogy is exactly that the hang and bang. You got to do the stuff that isn't sexy, but if you've got 28 technicians who are all decently paid and and you're running 14 vans out, that's all they're doing all day long. They just go from appointment to appointment to appointment to appointment. It's yeah, it's absolutely about quantity. It's about it's about every margin. I mean, if you look at our margins and you compare it to, say, the food industry, you know, supermarkets. You know, what are supermarkets run at? Like two percent margin, something like that. If they're lucky, if if you look at the actual map, we've been spoiled in this industry. And I think that there's some hubris that occurs in the in the resi market. I see it in the commercial market. I see it in the resi market. I mean, I, I see it in both our markets where it's like, well, we do it better. We need to be reliable. We need to provide a service that is always there. At the end of the day, you got to kind of look and say, you're not writing, you're not signing that check. There's somebody on the other side who's saying, let me decide where that value is. And we're not spending enough time on the value proposition. Um, this is speaking towards that, which is saying, you know what, these are the people who are saying, if I spend, they've got $5,000 in their budget for whatever it is. They're going to try to get the most out of their five grand. And this article is talking about, hey, you know, if nobody's going to fill that need, you can actually make money filling that need. But you potentially have to completely change your attitude, like Chris was saying, about this industry and about why you're in the industry. Because your industry is going to be completely about process. Whether you succeed or fail will depend 100% on how good of a process you have. Not whether you're more technically gifted, not whether you have better gear, not whether your systems are even more reliable than the others, but whether you have a better process. Chris, I'm going to throw this to you, though, because Rich makes some, some really good points. Uh, he claimed that there's a chasm between DIY and the high end, uh, and that this is a process. Now, part of this isn't this what Infocom's going after with their Apex and the ABSPS system that they're doing. If you're not familiar with it, that's about uh, integrators of excellence, following checklists, having everything listed out. It's really a service ensuring that what you give the client is the best. And I think in many ways it is a tool to combat uh, that chasm. So I'm going to ask you the first question is, do you really think that that chasm between the high end and DIY is really that great? Or are these little bridges actually closing them up and making them one? Well, from where Rich is coming from, on the home market is definitely there's definitely a chasm uh, because, and, and I don't play in the resi world, but I am intrigued by it. I watch it, and I've said it a hundred different times. Uh, I have to be aware of what's going on in the resi world simply because when my corporate customer comes into the job site and he tells me about this XYZ product that he had installed at home and he wants to bring it in here, I have to try to make sense of it or try to find an equivalent, you know, look at, and, 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 and I'll give you a good example, because of Apple TV, we have ClickShare, AirMedia, so on and so forth. So that was, that's probably the easiest example of the resi coming in. Now, as far as that chasm goes, um, I don't play in the particular name brands. I know that there is high-end uh, audio systems, and I know that there is low-end audio systems, and I would assume that the low-end audio systems are the ones that you can buy at the big box stores, and the higher-end ones is the ones that you were going to go to a specialty store that has a listening room. Now, you can play off, you can, we can have a whole show based on people faking what is high-end and what is not, uh, but, you know, 
that is very apparent in the resi side. On the commercial side, it's hard to say what is high end and what's low end. Uh, I think you know from a from a consultant perspective, uh, from an inf as a past integrator as well. You know, you look at all these products that we have to deal with. Um, you know, bringing into a customer site, you're not going to want to put a residential monitor in a commercial environment that's going to be running 24/7, unless the model is replace that TV every X amount of years. Uh, it won't handle it. We know that. We've had those conversations before. Um, I don't think we have a choice in the commercial world uh, with 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 high end versus a low end. I mean, it's all opinion based. Every company's going to tell you their switcher is great, that their this is that. But nobody is going on a low end product when it comes to a boardroom. You're going to go by what you know, what you have tried uh, with trial and error in the past. I've 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 personally experienced it when I was when I have been on the tech manager side, where I decided to go with a less expensive DSP, and it wasn't producing the results that a better quality DSP could give me. It it though it was financially right, and I can fill you know that I guess the the chasm starts you know when you go from corporate to EDU. EDU unfortunately. That market has to look at those value-priced pieces, whereas in corporate, it's not about the value price. It's going to be more about I want quality, durability, and the warranty that goes behind it and the service that goes behind it. Is that really true, though, as they want to bring in their own devices or they want to bring in the home experience to what they're doing because they're comfortable with it? Well, into a board space, they're going to say they want the features. They're not going to list the products. I've never had a customer in the commercial side say, I have to use this. The only thing that they will specify by name is what, you know, in, in this case, is we're dealing a lot with IT people. So the IT people have already configured that, you know, already have um, their um, preferred uh, video conferencing network in place or systems in place. So they may have Polycom. Uh, throughout the entire company and okay fine you use Polycom we're going to use Polycom in the boardroom and that is the one specification but they won't come back to me and say you need to use Crown Amp or a, uh, uh, a Samsung display they just ask us to look good perform well and it's durable um, but the specifics of it I think we've even talked about this in the past nobody on my end has really come up to me and said oh it has to be this particular product not even on the control side, which you know, the, some control companies are more, um, you know, popular than others. I don't even get that. They're like, we just want a touch panel. Well, uh, Rich, he said, uh, Chris said, you know, they want something that's attractive, durable, functional. That describes a football. <laughs> are we at the risk of being seen in the same light as the cable guys? And if so, how do we? continue to differentiate that and cry for the fact that we know that it's different and much of it is better. Yeah, it's this an is always, I know. This, this, is, this is always a difficult answer for me because in essence what I'm basically telling all my friends is that you might need to consider other career paths. Hmm. Um, yeah, I... I, I in our industry, you know, we, we have these symbiotic relationships, right? In commercial, you're going to have the, the consultant, the integrator, 
maybe a third-party company, you know, a service provider. You know, there, there's this symbiosis that occurs that you can't necessarily have one without the other. Hmm. Um, AT, I, I'm sorry, IT is shaking that all up. You know, and again, how many articles do we keep seeing all the time? You got to make friends with the IT. You know, you can't be at war with IT. You've got to become IT. You know, is IT on the side of the fence with you or on the on, on the other side of the fence? Resi's running the same way. You know, I mean, it, it, we we have the conversation with people now, which is that you know you can't run your sophisticated audio and video system with a router that you can buy a Target. It just doesn't work. You know, there there's there's a certain level of threshold. What the underlying message of all of this, and I think what what and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chris um, was talking about, is that it's all about differentiation now. It is all about being your service model. You can no longer make it on your sales model. What you have to sell is just what Chris was saying: the mind share of the principals or the technical salespeople the mind share of the tech manager, the mind share of the field technician, you know, are they IT fluent? Are they able to play well with others? Um, we, we, we have some members of our own AV Nation community that don't necessarily play well with others when it comes between, you know, the AV side and the IT side. Um, and and that is is becoming more of an issue and, and I think what will happen is we will see more and more, potentially more and more AV companies just shoved to the side and the IT people and the IT crowd saying, we don't need them anymore because this uh, most of this falls within our purview. And yeah, we can find somebody who's the equivalent of the AV handyman. You know, are they great? No, not really, but we can point them in the right direction and chances are, you know, six times out of ten they'll get it right. And you know what, they're so inexpensive, even if they have to do it three times, they're still a better value-added proposition than the old and stale company line, which is, we've been doing it like this, it, you know, again, like I said, I, and, and not to knock the commercial side, because I believe that it, it falls within all markets, residential, commercial, government, education, which is reliability, you know, 100% uptime. It's got to be like this. You know what? If you're in a specific niche industry, right, like a, you know, a war room, you know, or, or a knock, or, or any of these places, absolutely, you know, 99.9999, you know, as you know, percent uptime is going to be the entire case. And in residential and in and in commercial, you know, those those are there's always going to be the exceptions. But I refer to them generically as the luxury market, right? These are the people who are saying, "I'm willing to spend what it takes for peace of mind," because well, they have me, the budget for it. Let me ask you that then, and I'm going to put it to Chris first, and I'm going to give you a chance to respond, Richie. Chris. Should we be looking at, if I'm a manufacturer, do you think I should be looking at dividing my brand into two different names so that I can keep the luxury side of it solid? And that's a very special thing. Instead of having it all under one arm, there's a number of manufacturers out there who have put out systems that are uh, aimed at the middle market or the lower market with sort of saying, yes, you can integrate with your BYOD and all that other stuff. Uh, are we looking at maybe not a consolidation, as I suggested earlier, but a way of saying this is XYZ Corporation. It may be in the same building, but they have nothing to do with each other, and they sell to completely different models. How's that working out for Cisco? Where you get their Cisco branded home router, or you can go out and get a Cisco real router. But didn't you know, they stop doing that? Have they? 
I still see them on the shelves. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, I, I still, I, I don't know. I, I have a problem with lowering your quality standards and attaching a name to it and calling it the home version or the, the consumer version because it confuses people. Well, what if it has a different name and you just don't admit to it? You sell one set of features to the luxury market and another set of features and boxes that can intertwine. See, the thing I've seen is a lot of these boxes will say, hey, this is the entry level, and eventually you can get this little middle box, and you pay more money to get it integrated to the bigger system, but eventually you can step up. I'm wondering in this new model that you are saying, and Richie saying, maybe you want to think of another career, guys, because it's probably not going to be there for your kind of mindset. Is this a way for manufacturers and for integrators to tackle it? That that model that I I don't know I I.